Welcome to What's Left of the Watchmen, a Watchmen review podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montrullo, uh, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's happening? Uh, it's snowing outside, snowstorm coming over the Great Lakes right now. Uh, I'm I'm still at mom's house. Uh, this is week two in a row, and I think I've ever stayed up here this long uh, in the Great White North. And uh, it's getting, getting a little cabin feverish, um, getting ready to head back to civilization. Jack Torrency. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, it's it's just it's a small town. It's like a small little yacht town uh, that, you know, in, in in the summer it's it's nonstop tourists, right? And in the wintertime, it's like by seven o'clock, it's a ghost town basically. Mm. So it's like really, really, really quiet. Um, and you go out at night, you know, you walk around at night, and it's like it really does feel like you know the the maze from the shining where, you know, if you took the turn down the wrong alley, you could get snowed in just uh, buried alive. Um, it, there's not a lot of snow. It's actually warm today. Uh, a lot of it melted, but, uh, this time last year, well, I should say not exactly this time last year by, uh, about February, March up here. It was, it was about a cumulative four feet of snow where they just kept plowing it and plowing it, and plowing it, and plowing it off the streets. But everyone's yard was like six feet high from all the snow they'd blown off the street. So, yeah, like just insane, insane amounts of yeah. stuff fall up here. Yeah, well, um, yeah, let's just let's get right into the episode because there's a lot to talk about. Um, as per usual, uh, another incredible episode this week. Uh, a God walks into a bar, <laughs> which they were really, you know, playing cute with the title and all the official listings. It was a God walks into a bar. But, you know, and we I think I even joked last week, it's like, oh, hey, or a god walks into a bar. But that was li- I guess that was literally his intention, because when they showed the title card uh, at the beginning of the episode, it is one word, you know, as in his last name, not as in <laughs> as in they fucked. Yeah. 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 In case sure. anyone didn't get it. Uh, or literally, he it. just wa- he walks into the, the body of, of, you know, Cal a bar. It, it, it's a. It's a multi-prong. Damon Lindelof loves his fucking puns. That's, you know, I mean, come on. Yeah. Excalibur, Excalabar. I mean, fucking nerd. <laughs> just sits around thinking uh, of fucking goofy puns. But again, he's a man of many contradictions. He, he's a dweeb, but he's also an amazing, you know, uh, storyteller. So I, I don't know. Can't figure him out. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, let's just get right into the episode because I'm sure there's a couple of things in each scene we're, we're going to want to discuss. Um, obviously, the show. Uh, oh, and and you know, I should mention beforehand a lot of the timeline of this episode, much like the way Manhattan uh, views time, is is kind of nonlinear and jumps back and forth. You know, they use the framing device of um, Angela and Manhattan's first meeting with each other at at this bar in Vietnam. Which uh, Eddie's Eddie's bar. yeah yeah which is the same bar that um, uh, what's his face comedian shoots the pregnant Vietnamese woman we don't in. know that for sure but we just assume in this no, no no someone found that you know if you if you murder a woman in a bar they have to name the bar after you that's just how it works in Vietnam well no so someone actually uh, caught the the window um, you, I don't know what they call that like you know like the writing in the window like when you like when you have like your bar's name in the window. And it's actually the exact same bar for like from a from a screen cap from the comic. Like they they made. I'm sure it is. It's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, but um, so yeah. Real, real quick, my my new big pet peeve is people that uh, write for 
major publications that that review episodes of TV like this, and they they'll think they're clever because they'll write the review of the episode in the format of like Doctor Manhattan talking about things in the past, but in the present tense. Like it's mm-hmm. 1993. I'm watching Watchmen for the you know. It's just like they're doing that thing in their episode review, and it's so fucking annoying and. Literally like, every single one that I read and or listened to today it, said something yeah, like that. It like, just, it's like you're not being clever. Like that was clever no. in 35 years ago in the comic strip. Like you're <laughs> you're just a fucking low life reviewing TV shows for Rolling Stone. Like you're not you're not impressing anybody <laughs> at this point. And I, and I will say, I, I think you know. Before we really get into each scene, Doctor Manhattan is an incredibly complex and interesting and difficult character, uh, and I think. It's a real fucking tightrope to to fully explain the way he views time and 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 just to just to write him in general because you do have to always write it through the prism of the way that he he, he moves through time. I, I mean, not you know that he experiences time um, and how it just affects literally every interaction he'll ever have because he just can't he can't he can never be in the moment and it's kind of like a gift and a curse. Um, and, you know, obviously that manifests through this episode, but it's such a fucking difficult uh, storytelling beat to not slip up when you're trying to write a character like that and give him so much dialogue that, uh, I, I again, I got to really give it to Damon Lindelof and, and his writing staff because they, they really captured the, the essence of Dr. Manhattan in a way that um, – even the Snyder film, which which did a decent enough job with Manhattan at times, uh, d- d- they did not do nearly as good of a job, I think, as Lindelof did in, in just this one hour episode of really capturing uh, the true nature of Dr. Manhattan and, and, you know, why his character is interesting. Yeah. Well, there's also times in the, in the Snyder film where it's it's very clear that, you know, they kind of broke character with Dr. Manhattan, he kind of like snaps to it and he's all like, okay, we're on the mission now. And it's like, he's, he's very much not yeah. <laughs> kind of just not who he is. Like he's just never uh, yeah, rises yeah. Or, to any, or even at his, his, his like worst, uh, you know, not really being there moments. It feels very deliberate and smug, you know, not, mm-hmm. not an actual product of being in all these different places at once. Right. Um, but we're also not really sure that he really is always, uh, in all places at once, you know, experiencing all things like he never really talks about anything's happening more than a few decades ago or a few decades in the future. So you get the sense that like he really like he he can only see so far. Right. And even then, like some things are murky or cloudy, or especially if there was like a nuclear detonation or these tachyon particles can clearly, you know, cloud specific areas that he may not even realize are being clouded. So it's yeah. not as though he's benevolent. He doesn't know everything. And he actually makes he he's still. You know, he he's the most powerful man on, in the universe, or at least in our galaxy that we know of. He's not the smartest. That that's Adrian Veidt. Um, in fact, Doctor Manhattan does a lot of really dumb things. Like for somebody that can see the future, he has a severe lack of foresight. Well, so and and you know, I'll save most of this for when we actually discuss the the final scene of the episode. But I I I I, I agree to an extent, but I think people are misreading the the whole seize the future thing because he doesn't he's he has he has no free will whatsoever like the way that he was written in the comic is that he was essentially he's kind of a slave to his um uh, to his fate like he can't he only knows what's going to happen because it's going to happen like it's not that he's too afraid to to try to change the future 
he literally can like and it's kind of an intangible inexplicable thing that's very hard to represent in tv and or even in comics but i think more really try to get across the point that like it's not that he sees the future and knows all these horrible things are going to happen and just doesn't stop them he literally can't like and, and you know even with that yeah uh, i disagree scene. on i'm on, on, on that because there's a lot of times where he's like oh and you know in 20 minutes you're gonna be crying and you know and this person's like well i'm not crying he's like oh yeah well look at this haha <laughs> then he might he might make somebody cry and it's like see i'm right about everything it's like you just made that happen because you're a fucking dick <laughs> yeah but he know yeah but he knew that that was gonna happen like I, I, what i'm saying is he i don't think he has much agency in, in in terms of like what he's at like i don't think he he's got the most agency he's all powerful yeah but if he doesn't I mean, want to make could... someone have a vision and have them break down crying he cannot do that he's you know anyway it, that's he also not doesn't i mean he's not like a deeply you know emo- he's not the fact that he doesn't have much humanity left is is also like a lot at play with his character it's a really i don't know it that's why it's a really hard character to write because it is probably even when they were writing this episode a constant struggle of like well why didn't why doesn't he stop the 7k at the end like he he literally kills all, all of them except for the one guy who he knows is left over who's gonna kill who's gonna or who's gonna transport him with the, well with the uh, gun, that's, right? that's like, debatable because he's you know literally standing right behind the the tachyon particle gun that's the only thing that can block his vision of of things in the future time space whatever but, but, but if he knew that he was going to do that and he wasn't even at the gun yet he could have you know stepped to the side and disintegrated the, yeah. like maybe he was just hiding behind it the whole time we don't really it's, it's kind of out of focus it's hard to tell anyway but but we'll that's what like it, that we yeah, yeah we'll, 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 talk, we'll get to that but um but no i mean i i do think that's actually an essential thing to understand with manhattan is that he doesn't he he seems to not be able to execute control over what he knows the future is going to be and i don't know what you know and it's a weird storytelling trope because it's like well if you could see the like it's just not something that people have ever i think experienced in fiction before where it's like no no you don't get like he could see the future but he literally can't do anything about it like it's almost useless information to him and it's also the whole chicken or the egg thing which they do a lot to you know play with in this episode of like <laughs> you know <laughs> for it, literally in some cases but like uh, did these things happen because he said they were going to happen or is did he say they were going to happen because they did happen and he's either way it's powerless to you know to try and and change what's gonna like it's it's just a really interesting uh dynamic with his character but let's let's get into the episode and we'll we'll talk more about the kind of the micro um instances of those things playing out so uh yeah we open in in vietnam we see the manhattan uh kind of mural was 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 defaced with a uh with a dong you know some dong graffiti and so well, they, I think they covered up the word like murderer uh and that's been covered up and now, now there's the dong there so it it's gone through several uh <laughs> incantations of being defaced and repaired so we get the sense that uh you know a good chunk of time has passed yeah it also looked like he was like smoking a joint or something like it was, it was kind of hard it was a quick flash but it looked like he had something dangling out of his mouth so um but yeah, so there's, which is actually pretty impressive that you could graffiti on a, on a wall that fucking tall with no, uh, you know, I, I assume you had to like rappel down to graffiti up there. Oh no. Well, I mean, it was only two story buildings. So you just, you know, lean over the top of the roof and you're right there. So I guess, I don't know. Um, but so, all right. So, uh, yeah, so we open with, uh, Angela in a bar, um, and 
Cal, Dr. Manhattan, uh, walks up to her uh, wearing a, or, you know, he, he, we see him in the streets. He picks up a Dr. Manhattan mask and walks into the bar and sits across from her uh, wearing the mask and says, you know, uh, it basically is, uh, he, he chats her up and he says, you know, we're going to, we're going to uh, date for 10 years. It's going to end in tragedy. You know, he, 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 he tells her her entire, their entire uh, life story and you know and over the course of the episode convinces uh her that he is actually dr manhattan but um he confirms pretty casually a couple things that we've you know kind of speculated on and or uh figured out through context clues that you know he's not really on mars he was on mars at one point but that's like a, a recording of him um just doing kind of menial tasks um he confirms that you know he was he did build life on Europa. He terraformed it uh, in under ninety seconds, which was you know pretty impressive. In that shot where he actually terraforms it, it does look like he's drawing the water out of the uh, like the, the the ice you know the ice caps, like where he was literally drawing it up to you know use that to create the building blocks of the um, the world he builds. Yeah. Well, he says he's done it repeatedly. So does he just destroy it all and then start all over? It seems like kind of what he does is, is build something and then tear it all apart and then do it all over again. Do you say that about Europa specifically or just about creating? I, I, well, I don't... she asked him how long it takes and he says it usually takes about 90 seconds implying that he's done it a lot. And if mm-hmm. it only took 90 seconds, what was he doing the other 22 years, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and if he, you know, if he, he uh, did the entire planet, then you'd see that from earth too. And clearly nobody has. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just the dome. that, uh, you know, it's this, this invisible dome, um, that has a, some, somewhat of a permeable membrane. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's uh, not to jump ahead, but just what he does with it, it seems like he really didn't either. He didn't understand now what making new life entails or, or sort of the ethics around that or his memory from childhood that he's drawing from, is so skewed that like he didn't understand what the hell those people were asking of him uh, either. We're both really. <laughs> yeah. That was such a weird, and we'll get to that, that part, but that, that, yeah, I, I, their vibe was very weird to me. Uh, the original uh, Crookshanks and Phillips, uh, whatever their actual names were. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, I, uh, there was some debate about this online. It, like he definitely sounded like, the actor who plays Cal, like even before his transformation, right? Like I, he did something a little different with his voice when he tr- quote unquote transforms into Cal, but it was clearly still the same actor voicing him, which I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you're just kind of supposed to be like, all right, whatever. Uh, but, but then again, the way you could explain that was like, well, he always knew that this was going to happen and that he was going to become Cal for her. So he uh, did that, you know, preemptively to make her more comfortable or whatever you want to, you know. I mean, he sounded a lot like Billy Crudup's uh, version. I mean, it's still his voice. They're not altering it. But he said he kind of based on, um, you know, like Steve Jobs, uh, Lynn Delorf, and then some other random guy who, you know, people that are like professional, very professional about the way they talk about certain things. Uh, his his <laughs> pre-transformation voice or his actual just Cal, Dr. Manhattan voice? No, his, his professional, here's how I'm detached from, from the world, sociopathic Steve Jobs yeah, voice. Yeah. Okay. So his, okay, so his, his just, just general Dr. Manhattan, like through the flashback scenes voice kind of. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, I think that was great. And I think when you look at Cal's performance, the entire series, um, you know, obviously he's got the tachyon on his head, but it's not 
a stretch to imagine that he's kind of portraying the same sort of, you know, generalized aloofness and, and, uh, you know, not, not that he's quite, you know, acting like Manhattan, but he just never, it's, you could see, you could see he was trying to at least hint towards that subtly with his performance as just, you know, regular husband, Cal in the scenes, the few scenes that he's in. Um, but yeah, so he sounds like Cal, um, yeah, so he uh, starts to tell Angela the story of his childhood, um, you know, which was alluded to in the comics and in that uh, little kind of flashback documentary thing we saw last episode. Um, you know, 1936, his father and him fled uh, Nazi, well, Nazi Germany, um, uh, or, you know, starting to become, uh, you know, the, the, the early stages of the Third Reich. Um, his mother left his father for an SS officer. So that's an extra, you know, kind of, uh, not great thing. Um, yeah, yeah. The writing's on the wall there, um, for sure. So, uh, you know, they, they, uh, flee to this, this manor. Um, did they say it was in the English countryside? I I didn't catch where they said it was. It was England and it's definitely in the country. So yeah, Yeah, a a bit more than a manor. That was a, pretty big oh, no, it was, yeah for, for sure and a state i think would be a... yeah yeah no for sure um yeah so they're they're kind of in this this almost it looks like this kind of like a refugee camp for you know the jews fleeing germany and maybe other you know nearby european countries um and you know they're they're kind of in this this big ward with everybody he mentions how his father uh, was repairing a watch because at least that's something he can fix. Just, you know, interesting little um, illusions there. Uh, we we see, you know, pretty, pretty early on that, that Phillips and Crookshanks are at least the uh, the actors who play them are the owners of the manor house. And that was clearly who he drew from to create his life on Europa. Um, so, uh, you know, he, he is uh, kind of a, a curious kid. He's wandering around. He uh, has to hide in a, in a kind of dresser. Uh, and he sees Philip, the, uh, we're, we're just going to call him Phillips and Crookshanks at this point. I don't, I don't think they actually said they might've said their name, but I don't remember it. So, uh, they, they come into the room and they're, they're kind of going at it. Uh, and he, you know, they discover him. So they kind of sit him down for this, this talk, which was, was super weird. Um, and it, it to me, it seemed like they were, uh, I, I, you said there he kind of misunderstood their, you know, their intentions. But it seemed to me they're, they're these kind of like weird, like Christy, like missionary, like convert, like they're trying to convert like all these people that they're giving refuge. Like, am I crazy? They, they, they had a very yeah, like, they were weird... funny Christians, and yeah, yeah, they, like, they weren't trying vibe. to be like, oh, we have to cover up the fact that we were being naughty, but with this thing about making babies, like that's really what all they would ever have sex for would be having babies, right? Yeah. Uh, and when they tell him to go, you know, do, do something creative on his own or create whatever on his own, like they're just telling him, like, we want you to, you know, they're preaching their evangel. They want him to go have kids in America basically is all they're really trying to say. He doesn't understand that. Um, yeah. cause he's, he's not raised that way. And, you know, again, it's, it's kind of like, well, what, when at the end of the, the graphic novel, uh, Manhattan says to Adrian Veidt, he's going to go to another galaxy to create new life and he didn't apparently get very far because europa was like as far as he <laughs> sought to to really go um but yeah i mean just just like 
It's like far enough. I, you know, this was... <laughs> whatever he thought he was doing there, he clearly got bored of it. You know, at, at, at yeah. some point, probably, and, and we don't know. I mean, we, we don't know if he went out to like a moon on the other side of the galaxy or not. They've never said that, right? We, we have no reason to believe he spent all 22 years before he came back and, uh, you know, went down to Antarctica to, to visit Vite. We have no reason to believe he spent all that time on Europa, right? He never says that. Yeah, I, yeah, I would doubt we have, it. We have no idea. We just know that he set up at least one uh, permanent little biodome <laughs> on Europa yeah. that's uh, cranking out little little uh, swamp babies. Maybe he went to search for life in other galaxies. I mean, who knows? You know, it, it, I think that's something we're not even, you know, maybe supposed to know. Like, I, I doubt that that'll be explored uh, next episode. Yeah, I mean, you never know, but it, it seems like that's not something that they'll have time to really get into. Um, but hey, that's, you know, fertile ground to, to mine if there ever is another season of the show. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, and I just thought the whole scene was weird. They had all these Bibles, like, wrapped up, like, presents. Like, it's clearly, like, this is not the first person they've done this to. So, again, yeah, it definitely fed into the kind of weird, like, you know, they just, missionary they types. Just, they just, like, find whatever room as a kid by themselves and start having <laughs> sex to traumatize the kid and be like, oh, uh, now that we've got your your rapt yeah, attention, right. here's a Bible. <laughs> okay, thanks. All right, Jolt them into it, right? Yeah, um... Yeah, so a couple things, you know, she says, like, uh, shouldn't you be glowing? He says, well, I could glow if, he, if I wanted to, which, you know, we know from the comics he can uh, control his glow. Um, and that was another thing people, I think, got hung up on about, like, uh, oh, well, he can't look like somebody else. Like, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. He can, like, create life out of nothing. He can, you know, uh, uh, affect any, you know, he can he can affect matter and, and, and you know, play with molecules. And that. Like, he could do whatever the fuck he wants. It's just he never really had a cause to do that in uh, the comics and the only people on the show who say that he can't do that are angela and cal i I believe we're we're the only two people who actually say that you know in story which is obviously um funny in retrospect um but you know uh so let's see it's uh yeah, so she, you know, she tells him, like, uh, I don't know, I, I, you know, I hate you. Like, I don't know why you think I would date you. Like, you're you're the reason my parents are dead, which, you know, it's, I, it's fair enough, I guess. I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch, but, uh, you know, I, I, fair enough. Um, you know, it's certainly a chain of events. Um, <clears throat> uh, right. Yeah, you'd think that, you know, maybe she would yeah. she would hate Manhattan for the millions of Vietnamese that were killed. Yeah, you uh, know, not I mean, just, but she's... Uh, you know the, the the your parents got killed as revenge. You know, you know, a little little kind of a uh, self centered there, but yeah, still. yeah. Well, she has, she was a cop. I mean, let's not forget. But uh, no, uh, so yeah, so you know, but they, so they she eventually he eventually does uh, seemingly convince her to go out on a date with him, um, and then we 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 cut to a, a scene uh, shortly after that uh, at, at the morgue. So you know, it was like well. Uh, you know, you, you you need to not be so conspicuous uh, uh, when it's not VVN day. You can't just go out, you know, looking like Dr. Manhattan. It's going to be a, it's going to be an issue. So she brings him to a morgue, uh, shows him a bunch of John Doe's, uh, a bunch of white and or Vietnamese John Doe's. I got it looked it looked like initially um, to see if he would just, you know, kind of assume one of their uh, looks because they have no next of kin. 
um or, or you know i'm sorry they weren't even really john does because they did no names but they they weren't they didn't have mexican or family so it was people that wouldn't be raising suspicion you know to assume their identity yeah well she um, said they, they all lived alone and died alone so like nobody's yeah, yeah. gonna recognize them if they're up and walking around again uh it really <clears throat> anywhere for sure yeah so um you know, I don't, and I don't know what the show's trying to say about the fact that she didn't show him uh, the black corpse, you know, until I, I don't know if maybe she was assuming that he wouldn't want to change his. Like, I don't know. It, there, there's something interesting there. I don't know if the, if that's anything deeper than just like she was kind of embarrassed to be like, hey, could you could you be this guy? He's, you know, he's pretty hot. <laughs> kind of about the rest of these guys. But no, it's just um, that she doesn't want to fall for him the way that he says she's going to. Right. She, yeah. I mean, nobody yeah, wants to feel like somebody else is, is completely in control of you. But, you know, obviously she's seen these four corpses already and she's kind of like, you know, if he picks one of these three bodies, I have a, you know, I got a good chance of not falling for this. <laughs> right. If he picks this one, it's, you know, this doughy like, white guy. I think I'll think I'll be all right. I don't uh, think he's going to resist <laughs> this, uh, this, um, you know, six foot four, uh, beefcake i'm not gonna be able to resist here so and that's you know and, and it's funny yeah. too because it's it's you know the guy uh you know uh, yahoo abdul mateen the second is, is clearly in great physical shape i think it's amazing that you know when he was cast uh and took the role he had no idea that he was going to be playing Manhattan. oh wow he really? didn't know that yep <laughs> that's yep. so funny yeah they told him to get in shape and he's like oh i gotta look great just because this is a huge you know huge series you know, <laughs> yeah. small role uh and yeah and then they were like oh yeah by the way you're the, you're you're a god uh and just kind of you know continuing what we had sort of said was that well if he's just secretly playing this uh you know secretly pretending to be a black guy all this time and tricking everybody like that's certainly problematic uh which of course that you know now we know that angela was in on it was actually her idea and those reasons um you know the response from people black people on twitter has been very much like oh this just shows that you know god's choosing to be a black man like they don't they didn't see it as an appropriation at all which makes it even funnier you know when he goes when uh you know document <laughs> as kel goes to to karnak to see a you know very disheveled adrian Vite, and even Vite's just like hey look man like it's 2009 it's not the 80s anymore like this is this kind of appropriation little problematic and, <laughs> and dr manhattan's like doesn't even register to him like he doesn't really know what he's saying but it's hilarious yeah. says the audience because we're like 2009 is still like way more problematic than even today but the fact that yeah of all people adrian Vite is the one to like call him on it like hey hey dude check your privilege well i invited but Vite is like a neoliberal and like he virtue sick like uh, that doesn't surprise me from Vite, but sure. I, I do find it funny that Vite is you know it's 2009 he still dresses like you know 1980s david bowie but oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. well <laughs> Vite watches tv all day too so even though he's isolated he's very in tune with like whatever the, the zeitgeist of pop culture is <laughs> right. uh probably he's just sitting there depressed like well i'll, I'll wait till we get to that scene but that, I, I love that scene that was my favorite scene in the episode um yeah, so uh, you know he 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 says uh, you know in, in in exactly five seconds or whatever your favorite song's gonna come on the jukebox, uh, and a song called Tunnel of Love comes on. She's like, uh, she jokes him at first. She's like, oh my god, I can't believe. And she's like, I've never heard this fucking song. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and, and and he's just like, well, you you know, it will be your favorite song. Um, and obviously the theme of Tunnel of Love is repeated over and over again through this episode. Uh, and, you know, the the uh, tachyon device, which uh, Vite later gives to Manhattan, um, it, he refers to it as, uh, as a tunnel of love because it's 
literally clogs 10 years or blocks 10 years of memories for Manhattan, uh, and which is why he knows about the way it's going to end, but he has no idea what happens in between. Um, so, you know, that was, uh, that was an interesting kind of thematic way to fit that song into the uh, story. Uh, a little, a little disappointed. It wasn't Bruce Springsteen's tunnel of love, but it, you know, whatever. It's all right. Ow. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I love that song. All right. All right. Um, but no, so, um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> it, uh, we see uh, a sex scene between the two of them. Uh, Dr. Manhattan, you know, much like in the comic and in the movie, he just can't stop telling her um, all the different shit that he's doing at that moment. It's like, dude, come on. Like, <laughs> I know you're experiencing all these. Re- like, he's just dude's got no, 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 uh, no, like pillow talk whatsoever. <laughs> he's like we're gonna be fighting we're gonna be fighting in a little bit and you're gonna be you're, you're gonna tell me to leave like right, well, just... this, is, this is what i'm saying with the self-fulfilling prophecy like he's not he's, he, like he wasn't some benevolent person that somehow got these powers and then knew what to do with them he's kind of never known what to do with them it's it the whole thing's just been like an experiment and at various points he was working on something for the government right but yeah he wasn't you know is it just a, a, the son of a guy that fixed watches Right. Like he's still extremely flawed. He's really not a god. <laughs> and he keeps making the same dumb mistakes that anyone would uh, in, in the relationships. You just can't help yourself. You know, it's yeah. like, haven't, haven't you ever done done something knowing you would regret it? It's like, yeah, well, the difference is, you know, when I locked my keys in the car, uh, three million people didn't die. <laughs> yeah well and that's always the 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 dichotomy of manhattan that makes him such an interesting character is that he is all god and all man like he's not one or the other like and that's you know as much as he is detached from humanity his one weakness you know it's not really tachyons it's not really weakness yeah it's women it's no it's yeah exactly it's love like that's the one part of uh his humanity that that he he hung on to um and it's just fascinating that 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 you know they can explore that again in the series the way that they did with with Laurie in um in the original comic. But uh, yes, I, I just think that that's a fascinating you know uh, <laughs> I, I say weakness, but just character trait to give somebody like Manhattan who is this just kind of you know uh, un uh, I would say uncaring at times. God, like just just you know ambivalent god at you know in general but uh i think that's the one thing that kind of helps him retain his humanity so um yeah so uh he you know they they fight she says i'm not gonna do this we're not i'm not gonna tell you to leave and they eventually fight uh you know because he because he mentioned it and then she does eventually tell him to leave once again going back to the whole chicken or the egg thing like would that have happened either way Maybe, maybe it would have happened differently. Who well, knows? it's persuasion. You know, if you, you put that, that seed in someone's brain and that's all they're going to think about, then you'd be like, oh, see, ha I told you, look, I was right. It's like, no, you just, you just kept telling the person that they were going to do that until finally they were like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to fucking do it because you're just an idiot and you're an asshole. Well, I mean, but his whole existence is a paradox because like, yes, that's true. <laughs> but at the same time, he does see the future. I mean, he knew 10 years prior that, the That's 7K, my point, which, though, is he's it, making it, the future happen by repeating it over and over until it it happens. That's what the power of suggestion is. No, I know. But I the question is, and I, and I don't know that there's an answer outside of just the obvious. Oh, yeah, of course. Why don't you just do something different? It, 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 the, the implication in the comics has always been that he's been he's powerless to stop it. Not that he's unwilling, but it, that he's 
literally powerless to change his future because he's not telling you the future. He's telling you his present. And, and like, and he's, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, a, it's a very, I get it. It's just, I, not I just consistent. Uh, I, I don't know that he's ever changed his actions based on the future he sees. Like, I don't think he's ever done that. So, I mean, in that sense, it is consistent. It's just a matter of, I don't know what is preventing him from do from changing future events. Like if he knows that, you know, Adrian Veidt's going to, well, I mean, he, he did a lot to block it, but like so, the sudden cavalry thing, he knew that that was going to happen and didn't do anything to stop that one last guy. Like, why not? Like what? Yeah, it, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's the hardest thing when you're, when you're trying to adapt Manhattan is, is figuring out why and or ignoring the why and just, just, you know, staying consistent with the way that he was written. Um, but yeah, so the next scene is, is the, uh, uh, right after he's told to leave, he, he teleports, uh, uh, naked to Vite's, uh, facility in the Antarctic. Uh, and what, what was it called again? The, uh, Karnak, which is named Karnak. after yeah. a, uh, very <clears throat> sort of a, a compound or a cluster of, of temples in, uh, in ancient Egypt. Yeah. And he, obviously the Egyptian imagery is, is huge for Vite. Uh, he's, you know, a lot, a lot of different, uh, ancient cultures that he draws from for his, for his inspiration. Uh, one of the, um, one of the things I loved about the, the interior of this, how much more it looked like the comics for one, but also, you know, if you look at the, the set piece for this place in the, the Snyder film, it's very simple, very basic, no flourishes at all, which is not at all like Ozymandias. Ozymandias was all about fucking flourishes. Right. And his place in the in the Snyder film looks just like a concrete bunker with like two pharaoh statues. And that's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if you if you read the comic, you know that uh, Adrian Veidt didn't give really a shit about the pharaohs. Right. His whole thing was Alexander the Great. He was fucking obsessed with Macedonia and Alexander the Great, uh, who conquered ancient Egypt and pretty much ended the pharaohs. Right. So, yeah. When we get the, the, this great shot of Cal, uh, Dr. Manhattan walking through there, you know, you, you know, see his ass, obviously, but you get all this great, uh, you know, all these all these artifacts that like some of them have been like broken and knocked over like White's not been doing so well. We assume he hasn't been here completely by himself for 22 years, but he spent a chunk of time here. Right. Yeah. Um, we know he had all these enterprises up until probably around that time. Um, Until he sells his assets off right before this. Right, right, right. But it just had like a really great, you know, Daniel Plainview, um, there will be blood vibe where you check back in on this guy who's just like clearly gone mad and he's slowly destroying his mansion uh, and breaking his artifacts and like shooting guns off and smashing TVs. And you're just like, all right, this is exactly where I expected to find him. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and even like the, the wall of monitors looks so much more like it did in the comic than it did in the, in the, in the Snyder film. Um, not that that's a big deal, but it's still, it's still just, it, it puts you into that world just a little bit more than that movie did. Um, remote control is like still like old as hell from the eighties. Cause of course, why wouldn't it, why would they have a more advanced remote control if they've learned yeah. so many other technologies? Um, and and I doubt he's like you know making excursions to update his his bunker that was that's been there since you know since the eighties. So it's no, like, no, he's spending time on the giant squid tanks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although when he walks up there, and I love that um, 
you know, Vite like doesn't even bat an eye that here's this, you know, six foot four inch tall naked black guy. He's like, hey, how's it going, John? <laughs> yeah, no, he knows immediately. Because no, because who the fuck? Well, because also nobody else could have survived like walking to his fucking facility like naked in, in you know, in the fucking Antarctic. He's like, obviously. And he's obviously He's like, how'd you know it was me? He's like, are you fucking... <laughs> I don't need to be the smartest man in the world to figure out who the fuck you are when you walk in here, fucking dick swinging back and forth. Yeah, no, um, for sure. Um, but yeah, but yeah the, so- the monitors, yeah, those monitors, he had everything, all the monitors that were still working, that weren't just like static or he had kicked in, um, appeared to all be showing the, the Taj Mahal temple. And he says, he like yells out, uh, uh, you know, like nuclear meltdown, a reactor breach or something like that. Like clearly there was some kind of nuclear reactor yeah, uh, near the Taj Mahal that's gone into meltdown. And he's like, idiots, why can't they, you know, he's like mad that they, they like I've given them wind and solar and all these other things. And he's like, they still, you know, want to make bombs or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, well, the bombs make him feel more safe. Right. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it's like, you know, what he gave him both Manhattan invite gave the world all these technologies. There's no reason to fight wars anymore. There's no reason to amass mm-hmm. nuclear stockpiles anymore. And they keep doing it. So yeah, yeah uh, clearly he he's like I went crazy for nothing. Yeah, and that's and, and that's kind of where we where we find Vite in that scene is that he's just so despondent um that his plan didn't really work. Like it brought about a peace, but you know, he it didn't create this utopian society that he that he envisioned uh that it would. And again, you know, you see his egomania where he just really wants to be seen as this benevolent figure who saved humanity and the fact that he's not getting his in his mind his due credit for for what he did and that things didn't work out the way that his you know his utopia that he envisioned he's he's very much you know upset angry you know despondent like that's that's really well and that's you know the overriding uh arc of his character is, it is, just, is, but it's also the the guilt he's struggling with because he can't just go. I mean, he's he's the smartest man in the world. He has this, all these like worldwide corporations. If he went uh, to do any press conference anywhere, he'd have the attention of the world, right? So if, if he's that smart and doesn't know how to spin it to become this benevolent savior of humanity, that means that there's something internally that's stopping him from doing it. It's not that the world wouldn't congratulate him. I mean, clearly, if he just said, "Hey, I killed three million people," like yeah, they would fucking string him up, right? But he's smart enough to know how to spin it a certain way that he could have that if he wanted to. Right. And when we leave him in the end of the comics, he's clearly distraught about whether he did or did not do the right thing. And he even admits like, this is going to haunt me for a long time. And clearly yeah. it is. And clearly it's the thing that's causing him to self isolate. You know, no yeah. one's forcing him to stay down there at the bottom of the world all by himself, staring at the TV going crazy for two decades. You know, he could have a world stage and have, you know, people completely, you know, are far more aware of the things he'd done to help them, but he can't do it. He, you know, it's, it's all these characters have some kind of fracture in them that prevent them from being a, a whole person that are, that, that is making them isolate themselves wherever it is they are in life. Well, it's what, it's like what Lori talks about with Angela in the car. It's like, you know, the, the people that wear masks are fundamentally broken people. Like it's just that, that, yeah. that I think that was very much a thesis for all of these characters. Um, and he even in that scene asks Manhattan, like, you know, I asked you, you know, is it worth it? Uh, was it worth it? What I did? And will I live to see my utopia? 
and you didn't answer me and you know I, I, I please before i give you this you need to i need to ask you like will i see my utopia live to see my utopia realized and he says yes but not here um and then we you know which is right before he gives him the, the, the tachyon and then transports him to europa um but yeah, but just before that, we uh, we we see you know fabricating fabricating the squid attacks, um, which calls into question who's doing it since he left, since he didn't like pass that duty off to anybody. I guess maybe he automated it, but it seemed like he was doing it manually. So I don't know. That's it's interesting. It does. I'm I'm sure that it could be automated for a great length of time. And or True's just doing. I mean, you know, or, or True's doing it. You got the sense that when. Um, Manhattan kind of says, like, really, you're still doing this all by yourself? That he kind of, his excuse is like, oh, it's for a good cause. And it's like, literally anybody else could be doing this for you. You don't need to do this yourself. He's, he's like, again, convinced himself that no one else can do this besides him. Yeah. It's, um, it's like and, a small penance that he does to, like, you know, make himself feel yeah, a little bit better. Maybe. Yeah, a little, little bit of a penance, too. And also, just, you know, when, when um, you know, when Manhattan says, oh, yes, it's it's your utopia, but it's it's somewhere else. Well, you know, like to him, he sees those mildly uh, mentally deficient clones probably as being about the same as Vite, and he doesn't he doesn't even consider that Vite would go crazy up there and be even more isolated <laughs> and find yeah. it to be a prison <clears throat> and not a utopia. He's like, oh yeah, it's great; they'll love you up there. Like he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't consider that he wouldn't be happy at all. Because uh, he doesn't understand love at all, and he doesn't understand that unconditional love is, uh, you know, with without any kind of conflict whatsoever. I mean, he he does kind of later on in the expository, but, um, you know, at, at first he's like, "Oh, humans, I don't want anything to do with all their complications." And it's like, "Oh, actually, I'm really bored without your complications. I need to come back and get in a relationship." Yeah. <laughs> no, he he definitely contains a lot of contradictions, which I think is you know again he it's written into the character he talks about how his life is just you know a series of paradoxes um but uh you know briefly he uh he tells cal like oh you know where on europa and cal says how do you know that um and he says a little elephant told me which is of course implicating that even back in in uh was this 2012 uh, 2009 rather uh he was working with true or you know in contact with true because uh, true obviously you know with the elephant her uh pharmaceutical logo is an elephant like that's i think that was clearly the implication there um he says to him you you have a profound lack of imagination which actually gets a laugh out of manhattan because uh, he is thinking back to slash it living in the moment where angela tells him that he has a great imagination um you know so i, I you know it, it's uh, the fact that he laughs also surprised Vite. I don't know if that is, is any kind of, you know, uh, I, I don't know if we're to glean from that, that his his humanity is is kind of uh, expanding in as much as he's never he's living in every moment at, at the same time. So it's hard to say, like, oh, he's evolving as a as a person or as like a, you know, his humanity is evolving because uh, he's he's living in every moment simultaneously. But I just thought that was an interesting um little aside from them uh let's see uh you know Vite tells him he can make a device for his brain it, it was actually his plan a um before the squid attack you know his plan b was was the um the device he used to 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 uh you know 
to disintegrate. I, I forget the exact phrasing of the scientific term, but the device he uses to the subtractor, to, yeah, the yeah, intrinsic yeah. field, some people yeah, call yeah, it yeah. intrinsic field generator, and that's actually incorrect. It's uh, intrinsic field subtractor. Uh, and and I actually just went back and watched um, just a little bit of the the Snyder film, uh, mm-hmm. and it is the same as the original comic where he. Um, uh, Bumbatis, the the mutant links kind of like lures him into this the the one that Vitae created to like zap him again, um, and of course doesn't really do anything. He reforms just only minutes later, and he's like, "Hey, I actually did that to myself a bunch of times trying to reverse it." So like, if it didn't if it didn't kill John Osterman, it's definitely not going to kill me now. Yeah. <laughs> so good yeah. try though. Which which by the way is you know uh, good foreshadowing for the 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 Seventh Cavalry's plan because I don't think what they're going to do is going to work either, and I think that this is all. I mean, and not to jump far ahead, but I, I think it's it's you know it's related enough that we can talk about it. Uh, I, to me, and I again, this is just a theory. I may be wrong, but it seems more clear that True set this up with the Seventh Cavalry, using them as these kind of you know useful idiots to let them think that they could actually do this with with Manhattan when she knew damn well that it wouldn't work. Um, in order to tie up literally everyone who could stop her master plan and whatever yeah. that is regarding the millennium clock because Angela's going to be tied up Lori's going to be tied up Manhattan's going to be t- with with these fucking idiot racists trying to make their own you know racist yeah. Dr. Manhattan My, it's not going to fucking work but they're all going to be too busy to stop the millennium clock turning on at the same time it's possible my my uh, little sort of personal easter egg I'd love to see would be if the seventh cavalry <clears throat> turns on their uh, intrinsic field subtractor and uh Bumbatis, the the mutant or the genetic altered links that Vite created uh comes back like really. like rematerializes. I mean <laughs> like the greatest fucking Easter egg of all time. And Maul's well, everyone all would be like, the what fucking, the fuck did that come the, from? The, Maul's all of the seventh cavalry, that'd be amazing. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, no, that would that would be cool. And I guarantee um, Lindelof has thought about it. Like, what if this this is just leftovers enough that people would like be like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> and all the hardcore fans would be like, "Oh shit, the fuck no, kids back to kill everybody." <laughs> they turn the machine on and carry Coons there. Like, wait, like it's you know, it's, that's the other side she woke up on it. Well, no, no spoilers, but <laughs> um, no, that that'd be great. Um, yeah, so uh, you know he he, uh, he you know he says like do you would you like to go there and Adrian in in this moment uh, says yes and Manhattan just sends him there after you know giving him the 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 tachyon uh, d- uh, disc uh, whatever you want to call it um, which you know again I know Manhattan's not uh, a people person he doesn't really understand the subtle intricacies of human emotion in a, in a lot of ways um but you know maybe, maybe give the guy a little more information a little more time to think about it maybe like i don't know it, it just seemed very abrupt that he's just like all right well there you go i'm gonna transport you halfway across the, the fucking galaxy or halfway across the solar system rather um and 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 that's where you'll be now um oh but, no, no, you i know. forget that you're there for the next 10 years too so. yeah, yeah uh, I, i'm gonna put this thing in my head where i'm never gonna uh, think about you because i'm not gonna even remember that i'm dr manhattan so uh hopefully hopefully you like it uh yeah. and he probably thought he was just doing a nice thing for his friend who tried to kill him once and probably like had no <laughs> grudges at all and it was just like well i was there i liked it i just got bored he'll be probably fine because he's immortal or he's, yeah. he's a mortal, not immortal like me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll probably be able to hang out there for, you know, his whole life. 
and he's an egomaniac and he, and he, and all he wants is, you know, to be recognized. And the fact that these people are literally built to worship more or less built to serve at the very least, um, on, on its face would be appealing to him. And, and, you know, we do see in the first, uh, shot, which is the first, you know, the first anniversary of, of Veidt's time there, he does love it. He's, you know, he's getting fucking rubbed down after his, um, his uh horseback ride he's like enjoying the conversation even though it's kind of you know elementary to him at that point but like it, you could see it it's not an immediate like hatred that he has of this place it obviously sours over time and he comes to realize that it is a prison that's not a utopia oh he was seriously irritated when he the first time he tries to do a hand him the uh the horseshoe to cut the cake and he's just like you know wh- why are you like why are you like this why are you so dumb <laughs> yeah which, um, uh, and again, the fucking horseshoe, I still just don't understand the significance of it outside of, uh, you know, <laughs> obviously he's going to use it to, to tunnel himself out. But well, it, it, um, it's great because the the scene where we uh, find that he's killed every last one of them uh, and one of them's holding the horseshoe <laughs> and he, he looks at him and even though he's dead, he's like, not yet. Like as though he was trying to hand it to him and he's not because he's dead. He was just holding it and he's talking to a corpse. He's like, not yet. As though this was like, this is all an elaborate play that he's putting on like a play within a play within a play uh, to actually finally get out. You know, like he had, he was so bored. He devised uh, some kind of game where in which he's not allowed to leave knowing that he probably couldn't leave until a certain amount of time had passed. Um, realistically so yeah it, it it does feel as though he's not really being held there by anything especially with the last scene with the you know the game warden who tells him why well, was the first one if you remember i was the very first one i was adam right uh so whatever he was when vite got there is what vite made him be to create this challenge of trying to escape right yeah yeah, I, I presumably. I mean, again, you know, I, I think I, I think we'll we'll have clarity on that in the final episode. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah. So back to the the uh, So yeah, he goes willingly. Um, we flash back to the bar. Uh, Manhattan. Uh, she, she tells Manhattan, like, hey, you know, prove your doctor Manhattan, create life. So he creates uh, an egg in his hands. Um, <laughs> Which, you know, it, it, it was very much, you know, a metaphor for this whole episode, the whole chicken and the egg thing. Um, he, uh, you know, he tells her about how uh, their relationship is going to end in 2019. Uh, this tunnel of love he can't see through, uh, but it, it's 10 years and then it's going to end in tragedy. Um, he... Uh, we see him uh then we so then we flash back to when she actually breaks uh the tachyon out of his head and um you know wakes up manhattan from his from his kind of uh dampening um and and he's kind of disoriented he you know starts floating uh not immediately responsive to her um and uh you know she's she's not really sure what's going on uh we learn that uh, he did, in fact, uh, zap away the 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 Seventh uh, Cavalry shooter on the White Knight. You know, they mentioned how, uh, and Vite mentioned how, uh, you know, it, you wouldn't be able to use your powers. You wouldn't be aware that you had them. They only might manifest in 
some extreme life-threatening situation, almost as a reflex, uh, which was obviously what happened on the White Knight. Um, you know, we, we go back to Angela and Cal in, in the present day in 2019. Uh, he's he's walking on water in, in the pool. Um, you know, don't really know the significance of that, although he says to Angela, uh, it's important that you see this for later. Um and sidebar on that though briefly what do you make of the whole thing about him mentioning during their scene that he could transfer his powers to somebody else if he wanted to via like like just giving them something to eat or you know whatever it was because well that's clearly there's something that wasn't shown in the episode that he was walking on water to to show her that uh, someone with his powers can do. So it does seem to, to imply yeah, that uh, maybe uh, he gave her, he can see the future and can tell that if he does have to give her her powers or give her his powers or she gets them or, you know, who somebody else is going to have them at some point, whether it's temporary or not, they're, they're clearly making well, that, that uh, um, Chekhov's yeah, check Chekhov's power transfer, Chekhov's right. egg or whatever. Um Well but, somebody somebody looked at the poster with Angela, you know, the official poster, and they're like, Look, she's glowing blue. No one we didn't notice, and they had it there all this time. And it's like uh, first of all, she's not glowing blue, she's reflecting blue. And if you look at every single poster of the Watchmen movie in in two thousand nine, it's the exact same color motif. Each character is reflecting blue regardless of where they're standing that's just that's always been the colors they've used yeah the the black and yellow and then little hints of red and then everyone's sort of like mysteriously reflecting blue light even though manhattan's like behind them in the in the group shot or whatever so the idea that like she's she's radiating blue which she's not uh is not a clue so folks like come on (laughs) it's it's clearly a possibility but don't don't pretend as though the movie art was a clue all this time no no I think actually maybe the more compelling uh, foreshadowing is people are saying maybe he transfers it to Will because we see Will, uh, you know, with the, with the egg in that second episode where he he reaches in that, in that boiling water and takes the egg out, um, presumably eats it. You know, obviously the egg comes back in this episode. We don't know if that's supposed to be a tie-in with that, but obviously he stands up from the wheelchair in that in that episode. Uh, uh, I, I forget if it was six or maybe it was five, but um, and maybe the implication there is not that oh he's been faking. Maybe it genuinely is that he is uh, healed now and he has these these Manhattan power. Like or, you know who knows? Like that maybe there there's something there about him having to transfer the powers to him. <laughs> you know, in order to save Angela, in order to to stop. Tr- tr- like who knows what it is? Right. Um, well, going back, obviously to the he has a conversation that, uh... with him in two thousand nine. He, he does, and, you know, he originally goes there on his own because he's trying to change the future. He's trying to get Will to reconnect with Angela because he recognizes that as much as she says she doesn't want a family, she does want a family. And whether that's having kids or reconnecting with her grandfather, he knows she wants that very much. So he goes to talk to him of his own free will, uh, seemingly with no concept of what that will do in the future, uh, you know, so the idea that he's just a, uh, you know, a puppet and can't control anything, he clearly tries to when he goes out and does things on his own. When he goes to, you know, um, you know, Captain Metropolis's old mansion that has been gifted to to Will, yeah. he goes there seemingly without any foresight of the future at all. Or 
was that completely in, in alignment with what he had to do? Because he knew that while he was there, the angel in 2019 would ask him to ask Will about Judd, thereby setting in motion the chain of events. Nope. Which she... Because he tells her he's there talking to him. She had no idea that he was there until he told him. So Yeah, but did he know that he would have to tell her that in 2019? This is why it's a fucking yes, paradox. Because... because he went there and did it. <laughs> if he didn't go no, there and I... do it on his own, then there would have been nothing for her to know about. But what I'm saying is, what uh, do you think he made the choice to go there on his own, or is it just what he knew that he did in the future? Because he knew that he would have to go that. Because again, this is not somebody who this is not like I make a decision at point A and then I get to point B and therefore point C. It's I'm I know that I'm going to end up at point C regardless, and I'm going to have to go through point B. So I'm going to go to this house because I know that I go to this house, and while I'm there. In 2019, Angela is going to ask me to ask 2009, I, I think it was 2009, uh, Will, uh, about Judd Crawford and why he had clan robe in his, in his closet. And I know that he's going to say, who's Judd Crawford? And then Angela in 2019 is going to say, did I, oh shit, did I just set this all up? Like, I just don't know that it, we can say with confidence that any of this was something that he tried to do to change things in the future or if he was just fulfilling what he knew that he did, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just, it, it's a fucking, you know, it, it melts your brain trying to figure out how much of this is, if, if any of this is of his own accord, or if it's all just, he knew he is had to do these things because this is what happens. Like, and what that even means in terms of free will versus, you know, determinism. He went there to talk to Will to try to get Will to know he had a granddaughter that he didn't know about. Because he knew it would be good for Angela. Not but did he go there because he, he knew. knew Will was going to show up in 2019 in Tulsa? Like, nope. did he do that because he knew he... But how can you say that? There's, you can't because say that. that's not why he went there. Because they show us the scene where he goes there, and we can see that that's not... He has no intention of any of that. It's only when Angela says, wait, you're there? Oh, hey, ask him this real quick. And then he does. But you're perceiving then, it in, in, in linear fashion. perceiving what they showed us on the TV show. That's all you can perceive it as, is what they show mm. in the story. And when he says he doesn't know who that is, he's surprised by that. He's clearly surprised by that because, you know, we're surprised by that, too, because we are like we're like, oh, shit, he didn't even know about this. So, yeah. And if it was clear that that he didn't know about it, wouldn't she then say, you know, instead of, oh, what was me? What did I just do? Say, oh, hey, if he didn't know who that was, uh, don't go kill him later on, because that might have been a big, like big, bad mistake on all our parts. But she doesn't do that. Right. So. I, I don't know. I, I just don't think I, I just don't think you could say with confidence that he like maybe he didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew that he had to go there and that was, you know, going to happen regardless. Like, I, I just don't th there's no way that ju you know it's the whole paradox of they're in 2019 and they have that conversation. But then how would Will have known to go to Tulsa if he never went to have that conversation? And then how it, it's. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, but but he's going there with 2019 knowledge to tell Will, hey, in 2019, your daughter could really use your help in Tulsa. Not, you know, not saying about the Judd Crawford. But why thing, would but he go he, tell her, that, tell him that if he knows it's already going to happen anyway? Because he knows he has to go tell him that because that's no, the only way that it does happen. He could just not go and then it would still happen because he has no free will and everything's going to happen no matter what he does. Right. That's what you're saying. 
I'm saying that that that's the weird the weirdness of trying to adapt his character is that it there's no clear line between that or it's it's inexplicable because I you can't say for with any certainty that if he doesn't go in all likelihood if he doesn't go there then will doesn't even know about angela and never goes back to tulsa like but he that, learns would, about that would contradict everything you're saying though because that that would mean that he can not do a thing and then that changes the future but he can't not do it that's the whole point like th- all right th- but he just did never he just did do I, I, it, i'm so not interested in keeping this conversation going. let's just move just on because there's there's no, no dude because this is not this is the whole theme of the episode is that it's, it's inconsistent it's, to think that he didn't do things explicitly to want to change the outcome of the future purely out of just what did he change of, of right anything thing. outside of the things that he knew already was going to happen like there's not a single thing that he did he goes to meet will to find this guy because he knows that that is her grandfather and but he knows that he other. has to do that to uh, make he sure he that has to do that but he does because he can see 2019 from 2009 he knows that that's what happens can he you know yeah, he says like your daughter needs your help in in 2019. He he knows that that's but that's not why he goes there though. He goes there to simply try to rekindle right, the relationship just... between the two of them, and he says that. Yeah, but he knows that. He... All right, whatever. Let's, he doesn't, let's just keep. He doesn't know that. All right, yet, I, all right dude. Happen. I really come on. Let's move on. I don't want to keep talking. We can go in circles for three hours. I'm on just this. saying the writing has some inconsistencies about what he does know and what he doesn't know. Okay. Um. Yeah, uh, what the fuck were we? All right, so uh, yeah, he meets him as his mansion. Um, uh, yeah, so then we we get the realization where Angela says, "Oh, I may have set Will on on his on his path." Um, and then you know, as they're having this conversation, and they go back inside, uh, Manhattan decides he's going to make waffles. Um, what, what significance that has, I'm not really quite sure, but. Um, and he dry. And by the way, I, I'm not sure if this is going to come in later, but the whole egg smashing on the ground thing that seemed like it might be, you know, relevant to the whatever goes down with the Seventh Cavalry, and or it was just some kind of a thematic thing, you know, it, 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 this whole episode was just that was her rejection of of his whole chicken or the egg, um, idea that he was that he was you know kind kind of trying to express to her throughout the episode, um. But uh, so he says, no, you know, they're already outside. They have a tachyon um, uh, gun or some some kind of a tachyon device in their van. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're going to try to stop them, but you can't stop them. And she says, you know, fuck that and, and starts taking out her, her artillery. Um, and he tells her, you know, this is the moment I fell in love with you, um, which was, you know, a really nice moment in the episode. And I, I think that was in as much as as a as a kind of emotionless god can have a, a a you know beautiful love story with another character i think they did a good job of of you know kind of capturing that this episode um and uh and she's like well what do you mean you haven't loved me this whole relationship he's like no i've always loved you because again he doesn't exist in just one time he exists in every time you know consecutively um which is again the paradox of his character. So he he knew about that moment when he met her in the bar, and even before he met her in the bar. Um, but that's the moment that that he knew about, and that's why he loved her back then, even though he had not met her yet. Um, this is what, I, what kind of goes back to what I'm saying is like his his perception of being of time being nonlinear really only goes a few decades in either direction. 
right? Because why not go meet her when she's 98 years old and start up a romance? You know, and be like, oh, I've always loved you. Like, because he knows that's not what happened. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it, it, this, it's, it's impossible to say because it, uh, uh, he knows what's going to happen. Like, he knows that that's, that's what, that's when he meets her in that bar. He knows he when he chooses when to go meet her because that's when he went to go meet her. <laughs> that's just all it, it's not more complicated than that. Yeah. But, it, but, but he can't then say, like, well, maybe I won't go meet her because he just knows, like, well, no, that's why I meet her. So is that a choice or is that him following? Like that's that's why I'm just it's it's not a it's I don't think it's cut and dry and that's why it's such a weird uh, thing to play with in 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 you know storytelling is that it's not clear that he makes any of these choices or they're just the, the other angle is that you know he's again he's not benevolent he's just a regular guy and yeah, no, he still filters sure. it through the brain of a regular guy. So a good 20% of what he's saying is kind of bullshit. If you really Maybe. break it down, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just, again, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if I say, Oh, I, I had to, to go to work today because I knew I would go to work today. It's like, no, I chose to go do it. Even though I knew I would happen in the future. It didn't, it didn't, and it happened because I chose it to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but you didn't literally like know exactly what was going to happen when you got to it. Like you didn't envision. Oh, no, I knew when I would get to work and there'd be some bullshit and I'd have to solve some other <laughs> no, people's yes. problems and I get underpaid <laughs> and the boss would yell at me. Like, trust me, I could see the future just as well as Manhattan can when there's a, a routine pattern involved. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, um, so, um, yeah, so she's, you know, so she goes to try to stop them. Um, despite the fact that he tells her she won't be able to um and you know they roll up a, a couple more cars pull up and um you know she just goes out and starts wrecking these fucking dudes uh and it's clear they're not they're not super good <laughs> super good at what they're trying to do because she kills a you know a good number of them she eventually gets pinned down in the back uh in the in the flatbed of a pickup truck um and it seems pretty bleak for her but at that moment, uh, Manhattan materializes and just starts fucking disintegrating dudes. Uh, a really cool scene. I, I love this entire sequence. I really love the way it was shot. Um, I love the, the the score they put underneath that kind of like almost like orchestral, like with the choir and the piano. Like it was a really kind of haunting um, uh, score to put under such an intense. I didn't rewatch it. I don't remember the music in that scene, which probably means that it was doing its job if it, if it doesn't stand out or is it, there was enough action that I didn't really notice the music. Yeah, no, it was very like, um, it, it was very piano driven and like, it was very driving music, but it was uh, not like, like driving a car, but like, you know, driving, like a driving, uh, driving towards, towards the conclusion type piano music. And there was this kind of like really, uh, kind of somber, like choir, uh, going while it was happening. It was very, um, uh kind of reminded me of the score of moonlight like part like elements of moonlight not the hip-hop version mm. but like the you know, the other the other kind of like side but um but and but just amazing uh stuff in that scene and then you know we get the kind of we get the matrix uh neo from the matrix moment where manhattan stops a bunch of bullets and disintegrates a few more guys um and looks like he's gotten them all uh and angela you know kind of celebrates with him and says oh you stopped it and he's like no you know, I told you I I, I couldn't. Uh, I'm sorry. And then the one guy hops up on the back of the uh, the pickup truck and and teleports him with the with the uh, the reduction 
what whatever the, what's the fuck's it called um gun well they said it was the, um, it was like a tachyon uh tachyon. beam or tachyon yeah uh teleportation whatever i mean the whole the whole thing with the tachyons is you know a tachyon is is basically a, a subatomic particle that they can move faster than light right and they can move through matter right and and supposedly manhattan can move through matter tachyons can also move through matter so apparently it's like the one thing he can't manipulate because it moves faster than any other kind of matter uh so this is this is kind of like his weakness his kryptonite right so we see yeah. this big kind of like red eye ray gun almost looks like a, like just like a, like a light, how like a, um, you know, like a searchlight, you know, it's not yeah, like a yeah. gun. It's like a flat thing, but it's all red and we see there's steam coming out of it. We can imagine that there's enough energy coming out of this thing that anything around it is probably masked a little bit. That's the only really way I could, I could reconcile that there's one seventh cavalry guy, you know, behind it or ducking behind it that suddenly pops up and turns it on and zaps him with it. And he's like, Oh shit, I didn't see that coming. Oh wait. Yes, I did see it coming, but I couldn't do anything about it. Cause I couldn't see it coming. It's just like, all right. <laughs> I mean, he still could have disintegrated the car. Like, I don't know. It, that's, that's, but that's why, again, it's like, I, is he just letting these things happen because he knows that they happen or what, you know, who knows? Like maybe the guy, but like, I, it just seems crazy to me that he wouldn't have, he knew first of all, he knew it wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna survive it or he wasn't gonna kill them all. Like, and he told Angela that beforehand and he tells her right after he disintegrates the second to last guy. So if he knows that other guy is there, why doesn't he, you know, drop a car on him from space or like, why does, you know, like who knows? Um, unless he, and where is all the Tulsa police right now? Cause those guys <laughs> rolled up in Humvees, like eight of them. And pretty sure that any caravan of, of eight Humvees going anywhere would be spotted by the police, especially in, uh, you know, basically a state of martial law going on. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of questions. Whereas uh, looking less right now, because we do know he has a has a Rorschach mask with him, seven cavalry mask. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I guess, you know. <laughs> More will be revealed in the next episode, but I guess, you know, we're to understand that this has to happen. Maybe this maybe this just literally has to happen to move the plot forward to the last episode. And there's no deeper thinking behind it uh, in terms of why it happened the way it went down. You know, it was just uh, the way it went down. But, uh, but yeah, so he gets teleported. Obviously, in the next episode, we see him in the uh, the the abandoned department store. Um in the in this kind of chamber um that i guess is is you know maybe like tachyon line so he can't get out of it i don't know uh, it seems like it would be something he would be pretty easy to get out of if it wasn't at least coated in you know some kind of anti-manhattan material but um yeah so he uh yeah he, he gets teleported away uh and that was the last moment in the uh, official episode, but of course, uh, we get a post-credit scene for the first time in Watchmen um, at the end of this episode. Uh, Lindelof tipped it off on his Instagram to watch through the credits, I, which I typically don't, unless the song's like really bitching. Um, I'll typically, you know, uh, turn it off. But we always so, yeah. got to you got to wait until the the credits end so you can see what's coming up for the next episode, right? Well, I'll usually skip it, you know, in HBO, you skip through to, uh, if you're watching an HBO go. Sure. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so, uh, you know, we get this post credit scene and it's fight in his 
cell or i'm sorry before that we get Vite, you know t- tied up to a, a tree and and this is kind of his presumably his sentence is that all of these uh subjects walked up walk up to him and say will you stay master and he says no and they smash the tomato on his face next one walks up says will you stay master no tomato on the face etc um and i guess this is this is his sentence for for trying to escape <laughs> um uh back in his cell he's in there reading fog dancing which is a novel uh fictional novel within the watchman universe written by the same uh writer as the black freighter uh series i believe was was the uh person who writes that within the universe Mm -hmm. there's some thematic a lot of the pd uh pedia this week is is around fog dancing i didn't really dig into it too much but it's very much a um, well, he was also one of the one of the writers slash filmmakers slash artists behind the Bohemians right? that were all brought together on this island to design what they thought was a giant squid prop for a movie, but was actually the giant uh, monster psychic squid. So I don't know how they were so dumb as to never look under the tarp of the giant thing they were creating, but that's <laughs> apparently how it went down. You know, if I was just that good at uh, <laughs> that good at, at a subterfuge, but um, yeah, so he's reading this book, um, and a lot of the PDP stuff goes into the contents of the book and how it's very, um, it, thematically, it's hard to pin down. It, it explores a lot of different themes, but it's it, it deals a lot with like an unreliable narrator and how much. Uh, and I don't know if that's it, you know they make they make a point of mentioning the unreliable narrator several times in the in the PD file regarding this book. Um, so I don't know what that says about Vite's story. If that's is that supposed to be a tip off to what's going on in his situation, you know, I would if, take it as such. Yeah, I mean, you, you get yeah. the sense that his uh, persecution is uh, self inflicted. Um, there's even theories that he's already back on Earth now, uh, and that he is in fact encased in some that statue. So, yeah, the statue, the, the, <laughs> the gold carbonate. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that yeah. he got Mando on caught time. him, brought him back and brought him back in this, in this carbonite uh, statue. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. So, I, I mean, that's possible. I, I, to me, that's slightly less satisfying. Um, but you know, whatever. Um, I, I, I tend to think that like, yeah, he, he maybe it's, he is, it's self-imposed or something of that nature. And he will just, be brought back to earth by true which is what that object we see landing in in the uh in the farm in, in that earlier episode where we're introduced to true um but again i'm sure we'll find out next week um but again you you see that um not only has his time in europa not given him appreciation for humanity and and the the diversity of of uh humanity in terms of not like literal racial diversity but just in terms of the fact that you know some people aren't going to worship him some people think he's a fucking asshole some people love him so like the whole the whole idea of free will he doesn't have any kind of greater appreciation for that he still you know uh calls people of earth his children he's he thinks that the world needs him still um you know, it, it, it's clear that he's still an egomaniac, and he still thinks that he's like the 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 savior of humanity, and he and he and he can't understand why it didn't work when he the way he did what he did last time. And I I half agree with that. Uh, I think that's what he tells himself, and that's his his mission is to get back to that place. But he was like I said, he was self isolating, right? And he, and he had a platform as being a world famous person. He could have 
could have, you know, gotten the world to grovel at his feet if that's what he really wanted. But I, I think that's not what he really wanted. And this is sort of, again, a case of a protagonist or an antagonist who stated reasons for doing the thing is very different than their conflicted internal reason for doing anything that they don't understand very well. So they kind of concoct this exterior reasoning. I don't think he's that uh, much an egomaniac that he really thinks that people of earth are, are just waiting for him to come back and, uh, you know, save them. I don't even think he has that much of a savior complex. I just think that, you know, like he says, like heaven's not good enough because I have no purpose here. I think that's kind of more true than anything else he said is, is he just, he just doesn't have a purpose and he's used to being the smartest man in the world. So he thinks his only purpose has to be this very grandiose uh, kind of a thing. When I think deep down he knows he's not that much better than he's not that much more special than anybody else. He wishes he was Alexander the Great. And at best, he's a guy who came up with a plan that worked that no one knows about, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I think he he, he ultimately, yeah, always uh, tries to view himself as Alexander the Great. And that's the image he tries to kind of project forward. But he knows he'll never actually live up to that. Um that mantle not that you know alexander the great probably was not that great of a guy in real life but like his 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 oh no mental image of you know enslaved millions just like every other conqueror did yeah yeah, of course raped and and pillaged and everything pillaged murdered he was just really good at it he was he was better at it than anybody else so he got to write the history books and at least until he was like 32 years old and got killed yeah well that's what happens um yeah so uh the uh game warden uh, who's the OG, uh, Mr. Phillips brings in a cake to him, uh, says here, they insisted on me bringing this in to you. Um, and of course it has the seven candles to indicate that he's, you know, been there for seven years. Uh, and you know, he realizes that there's something in the cake after game warden leaves and pulls out the horseshoe. Um, and he's like overjoyed. He's crying, you know, he, and, uh, but you know, I'm not, a, hundred percent against the idea of him being like this being an elaborate game for him. But like, why would he be so shocked and like overjoyed that they were assisting him? Or is it more so that just, he knows that they can't help, but love him and still serve his interests, even when they're imprisoning him, which is why it's neither. It's that he was trying to get them to, you know, figure out the right moment to do a thing to help him. Remember when he tells the the dead yeah, not yet, Phillips but... corpse, not yet, <laughs> as though that corpse was trying to hand it to him or he's having like a flashback from the night before where that's maybe the thing that set him off to kill all of them. Uh, he's finally like, they finally, he, you know, he's been trying to train them to be better than their very limited intellect for a long time, mostly with Crookshanks and trying to get her to like act, you know, act out real tears. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Act out real drama. But, you know, uh, Phillips is really the real dunce. Uh, even in the second episode, he's like, has it ever occurred to you that you're the prop? He's like, would you like that to occur to me? <laughs> so like, you know, he, he's, he's overjoyed oh, because he finally, you know, I mean, we, we look at them collectively. We don't know how much work he's done with one individual Phillips or one individual Crookshanks. We imagine some more than others, but clearly he got through to one of them to the point where they put the fucking, uh, you know, gave him the horseshoe at the perfect right moment that he needed it. Finally. And that's what he's overjoyed by. Yeah. And now he has this tool where maybe this is, the, you know, his real final escape. Maybe not. You know, maybe he really is uh, just devising ever more difficult ways to to try to 
pretend as though he's confined when in fact it's really himself that's doing it. I think he's a little prematurely, you know, it's a little bit of a premature uh, touchdown dance too, because that's going to take you a long fucking time to tunnel out of a fucking jail with a horseshoe, dude. Like, you know, this is this is real Andy Dufresne, you know, tunneling out of his cell with a with a little, uh, you know, rock chisel situation. Yeah, but, well, when you're in a prison cell, uh, you got nothing but time. Yeah, no, I mean, hey, it, exactly, which is what Andy says even in that moment. Um, yeah, so. Uh, but I still don't understand why he says to him in the first episode, no, not yet. Because, like, unless he, like, you know, it's just, it's because bizarre to me. Because this is but... all planned out. This is He's been programming this entire thing all this time, right? Like, eventually, this, this whole play of him being trapped there and then the game warden and this trial and him being locked up, there's a certain point where the other actors in the play, the clones... Uh, are supposed to do a thing without being prompted or, or it's been scripted ahead of time and they just couldn't get the, you know, the, the beat down. Right. And, and we see that when he does the literal play of, of Osterman's origin story where the Phillips keeps getting the line wrong or doesn't say it at the right time. So we know that his timing is just bad in general. So the, yeah. the whole point is that he has trained them well enough to know when to put the horseshoe in the cake on their own without him no, telling them exactly when to do it. No, I get that. I get that much. I'm just curious, like, because it, it, it's clear from the, the, the Manhattan flashback that he didn't uh, he, he didn't envision this as a prisoner, as any kind of an elaborate situation when he went there. He did just no, genuinely go there to, to go to his utopia. But I guess maybe this is something he devised while he was there and bored and you yeah, know, or who knows? Is, I mean, this is all he's been able to do to keep from going insane is to create these little these little you know, dramas for him to, or these little mind puzzles to try to escape from. I mean, if he wanted to, he could just kill them all, you know, including the game warden and just walk the fuck out of there. You know, he could, yeah. he could catapult himself out of there with a, you know, all he's going to do is rash that thing up, get a broom handle and go clink. And then catapult. Although himself I don't know if he physically <laughs> could best the game warden, like in hand to hand anymore. Like he's not, you know, he's not the, he's not that young of a guy anymore. I don't know. I mean, I mean, he's the smartest guy in the world and probably the solar system. He can fucking do whatever he wants to. This is just a, th- a thing for him to do, knowing there may not be anyone to come pick him up for seven years. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. Um, but in any event, uh, that was the episode, including that little post credit scene. Um, there was, uh, you know, obviously the preview for next week shows a lot of shit happening. Obviously, Lori is still in custody. With, it's, it's still in 7K custody. Uh, Manhattan, obviously, is also in 7K custody. So we might be able, we might see a uh, reunion between the two of them, reunion conversation. That'll be mm. uh, interesting for sure. You think we're going to get to see like a Dr. Harlem versus Dr. Oklahoma battle go down <laughs> between? Uh, yeah. I don't see. I don't think it's going to work. I, I I still think that this is all a like. I don't think it's going to work for Keen. Um, but but even if it does, like I, I think as you alluded to, we will see Manhattan rematerial. Like I doubt he's going to be, um, totally destroyed by this thing that Adrian Veidt couldn't figure out. Like I really doubt that these fucking yeah. hicks are going to be able to figure out a, a more effective tool uh for murdering dr manhattan than adrian Veidt did uh you know i agree other than that they're using true's technology which means yeah. she like but that means she's told them how to do it, it right yeah. or something like that yeah i just hope it comes like comes down like a thor's hammer or uh uh Ian last crusade um you know choose the the the, the right 
cup kind of a thing where it's like you got to be you got to be worthy you got to be pure of heart you know and as flawed well, as, yeah. as manhattan is at least he's you know he's not a fucking uh white supremacist senator you know so i, I mean we all want to see Keane just like go through the thing and just get like turned into a puddle of blood on the floor and that's it yeah yeah and it's just it's like ah there you go fucker well see the funniest thing would be if he turned into manhattan or into a manhattan and then was just like oh okay i get it race is just a construct and everyone has the same amount of you know atoms in their body and why the fuck are we like you just do that, like, though it doesn't make you smarter it just makes you more powerful that's the whole that's no, why I know, Manhattan's but so you could perceive everything in the universe different. Like Manhattan perceives everything differently than he did as a human. So, like, I don't like. I just can't imagine hanging on to like weird, like fear-based, racist beliefs if you're this all-powerful, omnipotent, or you know, all, like, like see everything through time, like type. Like, it just seems like it'd be like that. That'd actually be super funny yeah. if he did become him. And oh, it was I like, oh the, yeah, this is really dumb. I saw the dumbest take on on that. Um, uh, the episode last week where somebody responded online, they were like, so he wants to become blue just so he doesn't have to be white anymore because white people have it too hard now. That's a stupid reason. And I was like, that's <laughs> literally not at all. Like, well, how do you... No, he wants to become all powerful <laughs> so he can assert yeah, white they, they power literally, over the entire... <laughs> literally, it had no fucking... Cl- like, oh person God. truly thought that he is feeling all sad because white men don't have it so great anymore. And wants to become blue instead. And that was the, the beginning and end all of wanting to change your skin color for that reason. It's like <laughs> fucking how have you been watching this show? If that if you can only detect literally the, the you know, just complete on the nose surface level yeah, no, meaning of dialogue. There's a lot of bad takes like that on Reddit too. Where it's just like <laughs> you gotta really wade through it to figure out to find people being like like, hey, this is kind of interesting allusion that the show made in episode four, you know, and it's like, oh yeah. But then you gotta wade through fifteen uh takes like that to get to that. So Yeah. I know there's only one episode um, left, but uh I really hope they, they they bring Night Owl in through one of the teleporters because that would really make the finale <laughs> like what? Are yeah, you like, fucking <laughs> Yeah. And Lindelof, by the way, again t- today, and I was—he just did an interview with the Ringer today, talking about last night's episode, uh, which I was listening to before we recorded. I didn't get through the whole thing, but he he did mention like, yeah, no, I just couldn't, I couldn't see a a, a spot for 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 Dryberg in the story. Like, it just didn't make nothing about what we were writing made sense to shoehorn him in outside of just you know, kind of in the background in police in FBI custody. Um, but he keeps he keeps reiterating like in this season he doesn't say in the series so I, I'm not I, I wouldn't be shocked if HBO is like hey uh, this is like a super popular show and I know you said you only want to do one season but like this is super fertile ground and you could absolutely have as many fucking seasons as you wanted to I so mean, I'm sure he's at least thinking about you know yeah, maybe yeah. I could do another story yeah, there's a lot more he can do and it, it's it, you know he wanted to do something where the the consequences of the stakes were you know, the end of the world on par with the original graphic novel. Yeah. And I get that. That's great. It doesn't have to be that way every time, you know, no, you, can, no. you can, this, this whole show is really about uh, taking risks emotionally uh, and telling a history that has been obscured for the most part uh, in our, in our country. And you don't need to have the, you know, fate of the world at DEFCON one uh, to tell that story either. Right. You can, you can put a lot of things at risk. Um, I, I'm just, I'm really, beside myself and disappointed though at the the golden globe announcements that came out today 
yeah. I mean, I don't even know why the fuck you would put movies and TVs together. Like the Oscars, movies, <laughs> Emmys, TV. Uh, mixing them together is just dumb, especially when there's only so few um, nominations per category. Uh, completely snubbed were not only The Watchmen, not a single nomination, but also uh, When They See Us, arguably one of the best miniseries of, of the last five years. Absolutely of this year, one of the best yeah. miniseries about the uh, Central Park Five. Um, phenomenal acting, writing, directing. Um, I think the whole thing's only like five or six episodes, but goddamn, so good. Also completely shut out of uh, of the Golden Globes. So just what the, what the fuck is going on with the with, with that awards show? You know, Golden, Golden Globe sucks, and they they you know they snub Game of Thrones too. But it's you know with, with Watchmen, I I wonder if it's almost like a, like the opposite of a recency bias, where it's like, well, the show's not even done yet, so we don't want to award them if they shit the bed in the last episode. But like, and, and I, obviously it's still within this year, so it's eligible. But it, things that are really close to the end of voting and or really. Uh, early on in the year tend to get uh, less love in these award shows because they're just so you know, like uh, so a movie that came out like almost a year ago people are, like barely even remember that that came out in this in this cycle and like you know what when you get something right in the middle like it like summer like that's really the shit that gets a lot of the uh, awards buzz which is why you know once upon a time in Hollywood luckily we'll be getting a lot of oscar buzz this year because it came out in like the perfect kind of sweet spot uh but but it's tough when you come out really early or really late fucking joaquin phoenix joker got four golden globe nominations and that just came out within the span of time that Watchmen has come out so yeah yeah i i don't know it's just it seems dumb to me no it's it's a total travesty that this show but yeah don't get me wrong and i i I hope with the emmys it'll get a little more love i I think that's still to come you know in in, i think january february um but and the golden globes are again like you said they're like the the, like the low rent version of the oscars and the emmys and they don't really know what they want to be um but more respect for the tony awards than i think the golden globes deserve (laughs) um yeah, no, for sure. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a little bit of a travesty that it didn't get nominated, but you know we'll see what happens with the Emmys. And and again, once we see what's going to happen in the finale and seeing how well that's received, that could also definitely propel uh, its case for for an Emmy. Yeah. Um. And again, these awards are fucking you know subjective bullshit and voted on by a bunch of old white dudes and who really cares. Uh, I think the you know the the viewership numbers and the critical response and the audience response really tell the story with this with this series and it's been an incredible journey. Uh, these, these oh yeah, these Watchmen's been getting uh, averaging seven million in, uh, <laughs> views per episode. Initial live viewing has only been about one million, but but because it is streaming. Anytime you want to watch it, it there. If you look at all the v- plays per episode, it's like seven million, which is huge numbers for the first season of a show. Yeah, and um, like with Game of Thrones, that's a very under uh, under. That's an un, that's like an underestimate number because so many people with HBO just stream it illegally. So it it's probably right. the, the amount of eyeballs that have seen Watchmen are probably you know 
15 to 20 million people probably watch every week. Oh, when you yeah. really well, and, and if you really want to count eyeballs, that's like however many people watched it. Unless we <laughs> yeah, 30 to 50 eye, million. You can tell that number. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Yeah, no. Unless they're a bunch of fucking Cyclops. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, point. Uh, yeah, so I, but... I want to go back for a minute and just talk about um, mm-hmm. we didn't really get in real depth to the uh, the scene with with uh, John and, and Adrian, because that was I mean, that was a huge scene to me because not just because like you get to see, uh, you know, a Vite's retreat the way it really should have looked all this time. Or you got to see like the bank of monitors, his actual bank of monitors, not just the ones that the Seven Cavalry had to scare uh, Looking Glass with. Um, but really, this is the first time that two characters from the Watchmen have reunited. Everything else has just been original In characters series, yeah. interacting so with new characters. So, you know, they they almost downplay it like it's not that big of a deal. But like these are two guys that, um, you know, shortly before they last saw each other, one was trying to kill the other one. Right. Like this was <laughs> which he which he seems very ambivalent about. Uh, John does. He's like, yeah, well, you know, whatever. Um, right. Right. I was disappointed, but I got over it because I don't really have emotions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then also just, you know, the, the fact that it's like the first time that Jeremy Irons has been a- able to really act with somebody yeah. like, off of another person other than just somebody staring there going, yes, master. You know, like we this is the first real scene. that's not just him on on Europa dicking around with suits of armor and these fucking, you know, idiotic clones right and mm-hmm. and it's also like you see him completely break down um i mean as, as much as you can say he's breaking down he's like you know hair's all disheveled he's got this look on his face like he's about to crack he's got tears running down his face he's like dirty crying you know and he's like just get me the fuck out of here you know uh yeah and, and also just kind of a you know call back to when um when they're like, that's crazy. You could never, you know, you, there's no way you would tell us that you were about to do this and let, and we'd let you get away with it. And he's like, let me. I did it 35 minutes ago. And in, in the same vein, he's like, can you make me one of these? He's like, I did 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had multiple plans to try to kill you. Sorry, bro. <laughs> and he's still, again, just not really even all that bothered. He's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, can I have this? Like, <laughs> yeah. Can I just take um, it right now? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, and I love their their dynamic uh, throughout the comic, and you know, obviously translated so well in this in this scene. Um, and yeah, and I think that was, you know, it didn't even occur to me like I oh, was the first meeting between these between two uh, comic characters, but it it just felt like when you see him walking, you know, in snow, you're like, oh fuck, like you know exactly what's about to happen. Mm. Uh, and it just felt like a massive moment. So I, I just was really happy we got to see that um, that scene and, and that it went down the way it did for sure. Um, we also got yeah. to see the, the vivarium in the background that Vite had that he uh, inexplicably destroyed when he killed off like his whole staff of people that were in on the uh-huh, block, yeah. right? Like he, he poisons them and then he goes on this like 10 page long spiel about alexander the great and his own origin story and how he tried to make his life like alexander the great and then you get the shot of like how the, the three guys he's talking to are just sitting there not not talking at all and then there's like a butterfly lands on one of their heads which is kind of weird and then they, they keep showing that and they realize they're all dead they're he poisoned them and then inexplicably he just opens up the roof of the vivarium and the whole place fills up with snow and all the plant life is dead 
right? He just kills it all for no reason. These guys, these three guys were already poisoned to death. So no, and he is a fucking lunatic. I mean, that's, that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. it's, it's made clear yeah. throughout the comics. And obviously in this seer in the series is that he is the smartest man in the world, but he's also a fucking lunatic. Like, and he has yeah. moments where he just totally puts aside his, his uh, incredible intellect and just snaps and has sure. like moments of pure, you know, expressions of rage. Um, but I love that they show know. the wreckage of that, of, of Vite's vivarium. There's a lot of, yeah. Because it like almost seems like scene. it's foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Lady True's vivarium, mm. you know, her little yeah. uh, terrarium piece of, of uh, you know, Vietnamese soil and plants kept in a real humid uh, state at the base of the millennium clock. Like we're going to, this is definitely where shit's going to go down. Uh, and, and it's hard to imagine that this whole thing is not going to be, uh, to a large degree destroyed in some way towards the finale here, similar to how some of the things in Vite's place were destroyed, although for probably very different reasons. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I can't wait to see uh, what does happen. Uh, and apparently there's still like a very big surprise in the finale, like Lindelof has alluded to, like in terms of how th- he, he he alluded to the fact that most people have not like he doesn't think anyone's sussed out exactly what, how things are going to go down in the finale, which which leads me to believe that maybe and who not. wants to. I don't know. Of course. People yeah. I don't wanna, know. Yeah. Like they get such a, a thrill out of being like, ha ha, I figured it out. It's like, no, you either, you know what, leaked copy or you guessed it or you spend all day not living a life uh, of joy and surprise by trying to, like, predict the future about everything. Yeah. I know those YouTube guys, that's all they, they do is like, oh, I got 100,000 uh, clicks on my YouTube video where I accurately predicted a thing that was, you know, well, you made 18 different prediction theory videos based on things you read somewhere else. <laughs> Remember when I predicted predicted this back in blah, 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 and they, yeah, they'll cut to a video where they made a million different predictions yeah, about there's, the There's guys exact. that do eight prediction videos a day because that's all they fucking do is just churn that shit out like, you know, <laughs> like a frenzy. Uh, and, and then they can go, oh, I was right. I was right. And that's the kind of the 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 two headed coin of 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 doing a show like this is that Lindelof is very hyper aware of how people consume this kind of a show in 2019 and the whole Reddit, you know, theorizing message boards aspect of it. But um, also, uh, apparently, the the whole Manhattan the Cal's Manhattan thing, which people were theorizing on in good faith, quote you know, quote unquote, on Reddit, apparently somebody said that that and i've not been able to source this but that this was a leak back from may of 2019 so that maybe some people trying to claim like reddit points would be like oh look they allude to it here and here the cal's dr manhattan i think i figured this out may have just been trying to fucking get cloud points and they actually knew that this was going to happen and that's like so that's the danger of 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 a show like this is that if any information leaks out some dickhead is going to go online and pretend like they mm-hmm. figured out this great theory when really they're just oh yeah yeah spoiling I've, shit to I've make it seem that. like they're smart yeah we're I'll see a thread and when somebody somebody will say something in the past tense and then you'll get the timestamp and it's five hours before it aired and it's not like oh you guessed it it's like oh it's they they said wow that was so crazy when they did that and that was like a thing that nobody could possibly predict. Yeah, and it's you know you look you look like how did they know that fifteen hours ago? It just aired, (laughs) yeah. So either they're in a time zone where they or or they're you know using a VPN or something that's that's making it fucky, or they're just lying. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's you know that's shitty, and that's what you, the risk you run with um with this kind of like hyper aware you know spoiler culture. But you know, I, I think largely the, the the whole discourse around the series has been really fun and positive in that the show is extremely layered, and it's it's fun to kind of. I think Lindelof wrote the show with a lot of breadcrumbs for people to trace um, in order for people to actually, you know, follow them. I, I, like, I think this show is not meant to just be absorbed once and then just like, oh, well, that, that was an entertaining show. Like, you know, like a show we cover, like The Mandalorian, which has some amazing episodes, but there are times where it's just like, oh, well. That was certainly a Star Wars uh, show, you know, like, <laughs> like, I don't know if they, right. there's much deeper thought supposed to be put in than that um, versus a show like this where it's like, no, there's shit like layered in on top of layers on top of layers. So I, I think it's, it's largely like useful to have. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think we, we've hit on everything from this episode, um, you know, next episode is the finale so we'll be back to cover that uh same you know normal time and that's going to be uh incredible uh hopefully i mean i can't imagine i can't imagine uh sticking not sticking the landing after eight out of eight you know episodes were fucking amazing you know to varying degrees like i can't imagine they just shit the bed in episode nine and even if they do like and not everyone's satisfied with the ending um the journey was was absolutely worth it i could i can say that without it without a doubt unless next episode is an hour and a half of jeremy irons just like farting in people's faces i can't imagine <laughs> being like man this was so not worth it like I'm i glad you know? you're alive to see it happen yeah yeah for sure for sure and that and that's again like you know the and lindelof is of course famous for for the the divisive ending of lost but i i don't think the ending of Lost, whether you liked it or not, and I didn't think it was as bad as people did, but even if you didn't like it, doesn't invalidate the journey you had, you know, it, with the six years on that show with some of the, you know, most amazing uh, character development you'll ever find in a network TV show. You know, real amazing, dramatic, interesting so backstories. Did, did Jon Snow also not to get sent, not to <laughs> not sit on the Iron Throne at the end of Lost as well? Is that what that's, you're it, that, that's what? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like you know, just because the thing you wanted to happen didn't happen doesn't invalidate the the show you just went like uh, unless it, you're it, American it, it, and then your fucking self entitled bullshit takes over and it it, absolutely that's, that's the problem. Your fucking yeah. Yeah, I think there's that's the problem with a lot of American audiences. Not that I'm fucking sophisticated, not American, you know, viewer, but like a lot of I think a lot of modern audiences are feel very entitled to like, well, because we theorize this is going to happen. If this doesn't happen, we're going to be upset. And like, that's a really shitty way to consume entertainment, I think. Like, and I think like you you should be able to objectively watch something and be like, oh, wow, like that was super satisfying. or Oh, wow that went somewhere I didn't expect it to go. And like, I'm not saying you're not allowed to not like things like hundred percent. Like you'd be like, Oh, well that was shit. Um, but like, think about a show. If you loved something for, you know, eight episodes or for seven seasons or for whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, that really shit the bed. Think about why you're saying that. Like, is it really that it shit the bed or is it that it didn't do what you wanted it to do in your head canon? And is that a good way to consume entertainment? Because are you just going to always be disappointed if you approach entertainment that way? You know, well, like, and the, they're going to scare good creators away <laughs> from wanting to keep working because yeah, they, and make them you know, second guess. They're, they're like, like petulant child 
uh, syndrome where they have to project their own ego into the character and anything that happens to that character that they find unpleasant, their their own ego takes a hit and they go, this is bad writing. I don't like it. Uh, You know, Khaleesi was pure good because I know she's pure good and showing her actually follow through on the thing that she actually said she was going to do all this time uh, is somehow inconsistent and bad writing, even though uh, they fucking told you what they were going to do the whole time. You know, like maybe maybe the problem isn't the show. Maybe the problem really is shitty, low information, fairly cinematically illiterate illiterate fans. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's true. Um, yeah, so, um, but don't worry, episode nine is going to be great. I don't think that's going to (laughs) happen with this show. Um, yeah, so, uh, that's this episode of the Watchmen. God walks into a bar or God walks into a bar. Um, come back and join us next week for the finale. Uh, obviously best way to help the show is a rate review and subscribe on Apple podcasts that helps us move up in the rankings, helps more people hear us share the show out uh via soundcloud soundcloud.com slash move left um we also host a uh, mandalorian podcast where we review that show you find that in the same feeds that you're listening to this in it's called bounty hunters guild uh we do a p- main political podcast every week on thursday nights called move left idiots uh if you like our our general worldview that we express on this show you should go check that out uh we're you know we cover the news of the week from a socialist perspective um we are uh, have a facebook facebook.com slash move left idiots we're on patreon patreon.com slash move left if you want to pick up any merch from the show uh tiny url.com slash move left merch i am on twitter at move underscore left uh and i'm on twitter at smut collector with an er not an or yep we'll see you next week